0: Hello everyone. Welcome to Arash's World. Today we have a very special guest, Dr. Grant Brenner. Welcome to Arash's World. Hey, hey Arash, well, Welcome to my world. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. So, um and I actually I want to start off with that. Um how would you describe your world? So, what comes in mind? How would you briefly describe yourself for for our audience here?
1: Oh, uh, well, you know, for me having a sense of wonder, you know, about things, that's sort of my earliest memory. Um, So I really want people to think about curiosity and about things in in the compassion range as well. Really a positive sense of wonder about the mind, the world, people,
0: sort of the best possible things, nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that, uh, Dr. Brenner. So you have a book called Making Your Crazy Work For You, From Trauma and Isolation to Self-Acceptance and Love. You had me at crazy, actually. Mm. So I, I find that fascinating because I, uh, I know some psychologists and psychiatrists are, are kind of like wary of using that term. But here you have your book. And uh, uh, let's talk about that. What, uh, what's your approach to that? What do you mean here by, by crazy? And how can it work for you?
1: Well, I have to say on a certain level, you know, some part of me that, you know, psychiatrist in me that doesn't want to stigmatize is very offended that we use the word crazy and it, w- it wasn't without internal conflict. Um, but I think at the end of the day, for me, being crazy is a good thing in the sense of being crazy about something. I'm crazy about this hike. I'm crazy about this person. I'm crazy about this idea. Um, and so I actually would rather kind of reclaim it as a good thing though. The Greek word, I think the Greek word craze means fractured, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with 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 having parts or pieces, as long as they fit together well. And for uh, human personality, I think that means in a dynamic way over time. So I truly believe that if we get to know the different parts of ourselves, even sometimes the things that we're not that you know cool with, it can really enrich our lives. For for many of us. Um, and I but think particularly for people who, yeah, sorry, sorry, go ahead. I'll, we'll come back to No, I think I was it, it's say.
0: also like crazy, it depends. I mean, the same as weird. There is like the good kind of weird, the good kind of crazy, and the one that we don't see as good. So I, I think that that's kind of also interesting how we perceive those, those terms and uh, how we feel comfortable with one type of crazy, but not so much with another type. Right. The, the other type of
1: crazy is, well, it can mean mentally ill um, and it can mean um, out of touch with reality. Right. And it, it certainly can be used in a derogatory term. The word weird is a word that people have used to describe me since as long as I could remember. And it wasn't always used in a way that made me feel good. Honestly, I, I don't know what that's been like for you. Hmm.
0: I, I I try to encourage that I, I, I see it as a compliment I'm doing something right so it's uh, being weird but again not in the sense of creepy. I think that's that's where I would uh, I would draw the line personally. but I think like crazy is also the new normal nowadays when we look around the world it seems like everything seems out of whack nowadays.
1: Yeah, I think that's right and I th- I think that's why sense of humor. And so we were meeting with our publisher and our book agent. We were meeting after our second book came out. Our being me, my co-author Dr. Mark Borg, and our co-author Dan- Danny Berry, who's a, a, a nurse and a mental health um, degree holder. Our second book is called "Relationship Sanity," which is for couples, and our irrelationship. That's our our core concept is irrelationship, uh, which is which is um, a, a dysfunctional relationship defined by virtue of using the appearance of trying to have a healthy close relationship the performance is used to defend against deeper fears of intimacy usually related to trauma and like you said the world is is crazy like everything is up in the air like the world has we're hitting the singularity you know raymond kurzweil yeah what do you think about that we're kind of we're just at oh, the, we're that wave. Is we're cresting. past
0: it, yeah.
1: <laughs> we're surfing
0: on the that wave now. And I, I think it's like when when you talk about trauma, there's this this collective trauma that we went through with with the pandemic. There's also the personal trauma, and I see it's something that everyone goes through. Of course, some people to to a higher degree than others because of the experiences. But we all have a certain sense of trauma and. That is not necessarily a bad thing if we can kind of deal with it, learn from it, overcome it. So um, I, I'm glad you, you're saying from trauma, so it's kind of like a journey, trauma and isolation, to then accepting yourself the way you are, and even further, love and, and growth and uh, and uh, transcendence to, to a certain extent.
1: Yeah, that makes sense to me. Um, I, I think the sense of love is kind of um... – you know, it's discussed a lot, obviously, in self-help. It's discussed a lot in different philosophical, religious, and cultural traditions. Um, but in this collective sense, really, where at this time in history, it's it's very obvious that we're all on the same tiny ball <laughs> together, right? Yeah. And even something like in New York, we had the wildfire smoke coming in from Canada, and I'm a photographer, so I've take, taken some photos of the sky. Everyone uses the term post-apocalyptic Mm-hmm. But I think it, it might, and I don't mean this in a frightening way, I think it might be more accurate to call it pre-apocalyptic. Mm. Yeah. And I think if we don't make our crazy work for us, it's going to be bad, as they say in Ghostbusters.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, then, and that is, again, also the new normal, which is which is quite frightening. And so we spend a lot of our time at work. And so the importance of mental health is something that we are kind of more openly talking about. But um, um, you also talk about managers and the importance of, of again, them helping us uh, to, to boost mental health, to have support and so on. So what are some tips you would give about the workplace, both as, a, as an employee as well as the employer?
1: Yeah, this is really interesting. Um, I was contacted by a business guy named Santor Nishizaki, and he's working with uh, an aerospace engineer, James Del Nueve, and a group psychologist, individual psychologist coach, Marsha Chinichian. I had written something about cancel culture, and Santor reached out to me. He said, we're doing research on Gen Z in the workplace. And one of the things, to answer your question, that we really got into um, is my attachment to the workplace. Attachment style is really talked about a lot in relationships, families, romantic with friends, but there's actually ways of studying the attachment to the workplace. And I think this kind of work-life balance idea, we really need to kind of expand and deepen because it's it's key to that other question. So I think you think about your attachment to your workplace. It's also developmental. Um, people, you know, 20 years ago, you finished college 30 years ago. You were prepared for the workplace to some extent. I think nowadays it's basically all bets are off, and then there's a ton of other generational issues on top of it. So I think it the whole. I think we're re um, sort of re evolving just what work means, and it keeps track with the way identity is shifting and families have changed. Yeah, What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I, I
0: find it fascinating. And so when you talk about like early relationships, how that affects who we choose as a partner, how that affects our, our work, how we perceive our work. And one thing, one realization I had, and thanks to psychoanalysis was the moment when I realized that my boss was not my parent, was not my mother. And it was like this sense of relief. And suddenly it's like her criticism does not, affect me as much and so it's it's once you realize that you're not as driven and also personally just today I I bought some tortillas for my wife because she couldn't make it and I think I got the wrong one and that kind of fear is like oh no this is the end of the world I got the wrong pack of tortillas it's probably too much but um, that goes back to, to early childhood, where you, you get the wrong thing and your parents explode at you. But then once I, I, I dealt with that feeling, it's like, yeah, who cares, you know, <laughs> if it's the wrong pack of tortilla, t- It might have been the correct one, but yeah. that's, that's the thing, though, that we're often not aware of that. So it's like this like programming that is happening in the background that we don't see and unless we do something about it and bring it into the uh, the conscious we just are driven by it and suffer from it actually as well.
1: Yeah. I li- I like to think that I'm um, you know not alone in this fear of making a mistake at home. Though, you know, you you know one's wife might also just actually be angry it doesn't mean it's cuz of how her dad treated her every time. Um, But this idea in psychoanalysis, right, I'm sure, you know, it's called transference Mm -hmm. and the whole way psychoanalysis is supposed to work, you know, for people who aren't familiar with it is you, you develop like a sickness or a craziness toward your analyst, basically, which is called a transference neurosis. Mm -hmm. And then you reflect on that and work through it within the analysis. And that allows you to work through these developmental childhood problems outside and like you said, you have these recognitions and then overall, maybe some changes in the, the organization of one's personality so that things don't feel in these repetitive negative ways, which, right, that's a definition of crazy is doing the same thing over and over again.
0: Yes, absolutely. And so um, that that feeling also of like when we choose wisely in terms of work, like what we really like to do. And I, I see a lot of people who are, who are not enjoying what they're doing. And I, I'm thinking like there is an easy solution. You know, just find something that you like. And I think our, like our, our generation, my generation, Generation X, has been like, we kind of rebelled against that. And now I think we've, we've set the way and opened the path for, for the younger ones now to. And it's okay to choose what you like. You don't have to just think about money and making a career or being a lawyer and a doctor. And I think that's that, that's an, an important shift that, that has happened. And um, But still, some people do get tangled up in, in something from previous times. Sure. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm Gen
1: X as well. Um, I was born in 1970. I like to tell, I like to tell Gen Z and Gen Alpha and, and Millennials, like we got your back. Yeah, yeah. Like we got your back. I I often also think of myself as a pre millennial because, as you said, I had this feeling that something didn't need to be the same. My dad was a very dutiful guy. He, he was a great dad in a lot of ways. He grew up in the Great Depression, um, family business. You know, he. Sort of denied the things that he loved. He went into business. He wanted to be. He studied to be an electrical engineer. He always wanted a a convertible, uh, a yellow uh, Corvette, if I remember correctly, and he he never got himself one, but he he could have. But he, but for me, like I learned both the value of kind of working hard and applying yourself, but Mm -hmm. also doing something that you care about and hopefully love, and leaving room for enjoyment in life. So exactly. But nowadays, the economic reality in the future is really uncertain, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, my dad was also an electrical engineer. So I, I find that quite, quite <laughs> fascinating. So we're on the same path and driven towards <laughs> ideas about mental health too, because uh, probably that that is also uh, something that has, has driven us. And there's also restlessness, I find, especially also with all generations, but, but with us too, where you kind of, we try to define and redefine yourself throughout. And I see it as a very good thing because we're not like, we don't see like, okay, this is my job for the next 20, 30, 50 years and that's it. No, it's like, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to get into podcasting. I'm going to do this and so on. So that kind of curiosity that you're mentioning, I think, is hugely important for for everyone to really explore that and not be stuck in, in just the, the comfort zone, really stepping out of that.
1: Yeah, I think some of that maybe we inherited from the 60s. Um, you know, the love, the openness, even now there's a lot more interest in psychedelic. Um, experiences and med- medications in psychiatry now. Um, but it's like you, you want to look back over history and take what works and the wisdom and avoid the, the mistakes. And you know, there's this thing where people say like, well, I'll make different mistakes. Yeah, yeah that's true. but I, th- I think to bring it back to what you said about wisdom, it's kind of like I have a feeling sometimes which is like, could we please, could we please start doing this thing right? because we really have so much to be grateful for. And there's so many, many people in need. And there's so many things we kind of squander, you know, the planet's rich resources on. And it almost, um, I I think, well, it's definitely, people tell me it's really hard to understand. Like you'll hear people who kind of want a more open society, which is humanistic, not understand how other people can, engage in activities that seem, you know, essentially evil, you know, on a daily basis or, you know, the guilt that people sometimes feel, you know, myself included in, in having sort of such, um, such um, bounty when we know that, especially nowadays, so many other people don't even have enough to eat or a place to live. Right. So yeah.
0: But I think like a guilt is also often has this this negative emotional charge to it. So I, I I feel like it's it should like inspire like anything that inspires us to to move forward like always towards the positive. And I see a lot of people who who the guilt is kind of like is 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 hovering over them, and they they don't feel like they they have the right to enjoy. Their lives and uh, and so I think it's like really important to keep things in in, in balance and you mentioned something that like give and take dynamics which uh, which I like finding that that balance between my personal well being and then also helping others and that is hugely important because a lot of people are more towards geared towards others and they suffer as a result and in the end everyone suffers
1: yeah that's like one of our core messages. And I think the practice of self-compassion or mindful self-compassion, my my sense is that once you become compassionate, you can't tell yourself and other people apart in a certain way. So with people who are self-sacrificing, a lot of times what I see, and guilt is one part of it, shame, disgust, self-criticism, they treat themselves with a lower ethical standard than they treat other people. Are you familiar with, you must be the philosopher Levinas? Actually, I am not. You know this, um, well, he had this idea of like radical, speaking of positivity, uh-huh. like radical um, obligation to the other person. He says, when you're confronted something like with the face of the other, uh-huh. then you're obligated to them in a certain way. Now, that could read into being, you know, self-sacrificing, like, like you're saying. But in our work, we really look at the self-compassion because... As you said, you can't be there for other people if you're not there for yourself. And and we learn this, like you said earlier, in our in our parent-child relations or our sibling relations.
0: And it, it just reminded me of Sato, where you see like the other is defining you because they control you, the the gaze of the other. And I, I think that kind of like enslaves us in many ways where we're not free and we don't feel free. But it's like, it's that kind of shift where we need to just kind of shift our way of thinking and realize when there's an emergency, like uh, uh, on a plane, you want to get the oxygen mask for yourself first and then help the others. Otherwise, you're not helping anyone. And I think that is something to, to, to keep in mind, too. But again, we also see the opposite where people just become selfish and they just think about themselves. And see, we know we see a lot of people like that. And that's also, I think, because something is wrong something is wrong with it within them there's this comes from a certain type of trauma or dissatisfaction or negativity and that if they had a choice they would probably not act that way and realize no we're in this together
1: yeah you know i i wonder so sartre there's a kind of a paranoid quality about other people and listen this in some ways i don't, really don't mean this in a single in a single way and i don't mean it in a singular way and i don't mean it in a negative way but in in some sense the biggest threat to a person is another person and in some sense it's oneself often sadly sometimes literally um when you talk about paranoia and you're talk and you're talking about modern culture um do you know the concept of the panopticon mm-hmm. like the prison like yeah. i feel like so social media has become that um you Good know point. that we can see each other all the time and you know that you're seeing me and I'm seeing you. And you mentioned this would be on YouTube. So as we're speaking, right? Imagining being watched later on YouTube, right? Who's yeah. going to be watching? And um, in our books, we talk about give and take as a kind of a, a, a goal is to, to be in a state of mutuality and and compassion for oneself and others is required for that. We have a kind of a process that toward the end of our books, you get to call the dream sequence, and so this is a developmental pathway: discovery, repair, empowerment, alternatives, and mutuality. And so mm-hmm. you realize something is wrong. What did Sartre call it? Um, was
0: there's a philosophical term? Mauvaise foi, I think. The uh, like bad uh, faith. Bad like faith. That.
1: Yeah, yeah. You realize something is off, and sometimes there's like a like a big aha for a person, mm-hmm. but there's many like aftershocks. And that moment of self recognition can have the good, the bad, and the and the unpleasant. Um, and how do you stay with yourself through that? You know, in making your crazy work for you, it's about your 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 relationship, your bad faith with yourself.
0: The other yeah, books are yeah, about that's others. It.
1: That's it. But and I how, think how do you write
0: that out. But I I think like just being well being authentic, and that's something that's thrown around. And what's the definition of authentic? But I think one thing is like when you're really yourself. And you have nothing to hide. I mean, that's that's really hard to do. But once you have nothing to hide, you wh- what are you paranoid about? I mean, I, I, I think like even like on my phone, if somebody hacks my phone, um, I have nothing that would compromise me in any ways. And I feel fine with that because it's also like it's a reflection of who I am and that, that kind of congruence between who you project and who you are. So I think that is once you have that faith and once the two kind of combine mostly or if it's 100%, you're really lucky, you're probably enlightened, enlightened. But once you get that, then the paranoia goes away and you say, you know what? You can criticize me, but I am feeling that this is the right thing. And if I'm doing the wrong thing, then I apologize and I should be fine and rectify it. But we don't see that. We're constantly scared. And myself, too. I mean, until recently, when things would worry me and I think, you know, just just relax. You know, just enjoy your life and be who you are and try to yeah. do the right thing and you should be okay it's funny because
1: we all we can struggle with
0: sorry, sorry you just cut out here sorry, no one knows out. about uh, sorry can you repeat that we just cut out,
1: but, yeah. where, where where did we cut out uh
0: just the answer
1: if if you do have something yeah. can you hear me now if you do have something that you're hiding Mm -hmm. that could cause problems, right? Some people have stuff that they're doing, um, Mm -hmm. you know, you could get arrested or something. Mm -hmm. Um, But in terms of, you know, if it's just that bad feeling and it's, there's no real reality to it. And you're kind of, you're hiding in some kind of shameful state. I, I agree with you. It's, you get can get to a place where you're right with yourself and then you can be right with other people. And it, it does often involve the self-discovery. Um, you know, we talked about like the experience growing up. We use a mnemonic called grafts, which is shorthand for different patterns that come up with our caregivers in order to keep the other person happy, acting as a human antidepressant, as Dr. Borg says, um, that's being good, being right, being absent, staying out of the way, right? Sometimes you have to stay out of your parents' way, being funny, right? Entertaining, tense, like, you know, walking on eggshells or being smart, you know? So a lot of these things are like being, getting good grades and being, being a good <laughs> child. Right. Um, and so this shapes our personality, but I want to ask you something cause you're, you're talking about positive and negative. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the things that are helpful can feel negative. So yeah. how do you kind of own quote unquote
0: negativity? Well, I, I I don't see uh, anything necessarily as as good and bad, and I try to avoid that as much as I can, because I think part of the problem nowadays is we have really black and white thinking, and so I think seen in the in a different light, something that is perceived as negative can actually be quite positive, and we just it, might not understand it or see it that way, or in the context it would make more sense. So. Uh, And so by by positivity, I I basically mean that things that make us feel good and that continues with that and spread it. But however, sometimes we need to be tough on others, too. So I I don't uh, think of the idea of just positive thinking and everything is fine and deluding yourself because everything is not fine. But we can bring a sense of positivity to it to change it. Without using aggression or again, shaming others or making others feel guilty, even. I think that's important. And it also goes down to the definition of open mindedness. And people say they're open minded. But I find the more people say that, the less open minded they are. And it goes back to also religious people or spiritual people. It's the ones that don't say they are religious. They are probably much more religious than than the others. And the others want to just kind of make a point or be in the limelight, or probably they could be also some of them narcissists of saying, Look, what a good person I am, and I need your admiration. Whereas you just quietly do your your good deeds and you don't expect anything in return i mean that to me is the very core of spirituality does that
1: make sense The not expecting anything in re- return you know, there's i have so many thoughts about what you just said i hmm. the open-mindedness ver- versus rigidity uh stands out for me as being really important and and i th- i think a lot of people are very open-minded in in very particular directions and subjectively they may actually experience themselves as being open minded, but it's because you don't, myself included, you don't always know what you don't know. Yeah, and exactly. so, hey, I'm I'm infinitely open minded about this one thing. Um, have you ever seen or heard of, you know, the movie The Holy Mountain by Alejandro yeah, Zodorowski? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have yeah. you ever well, so they're trying to attain like the peak of this mountain, um, and they're yeah. on this holy journey together and mo- most of the guys and girls and 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 in between are on on the journey are like very very successful capitalists or politicians or warmongers hmm. anyway they're they're on this 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 journey to get to the top of the sacred mountain and they get sidetracked into a bar called the pantheon bar which has all the different false paths to enlightenment through history, all condensed into one place. This was like Jodorowsky's crazy movie. And one of the guys they meet there is this strong man. And he's wearing like this tech techno backpack. This was made in the early 70s. And he's he can teleport himself from one side of the Holy Mountain to the other side. And he says, I have conquered the Holy Mountain. And then the the master says, yes, but you haven't gone to the top you can only go through the mountain and he says i have conquered it horizontally um so <laughs> some people i th- i think it's hard to know if you're really open minded or not and then what what does it mean to kind of go off the deep end you know sometimes i see people where it feels like they can get so far into some form of belief or philosophical pursuit or some religion or some some kind of thing it's not so good for them how do you how do you draw the line
0: yeah but it's it's like also seeing that you can can edit you can edit out that whole holy mountain thing sorry (laughs) go ahead yeah, you can see that as a, as, a, as a holistic thing too, of like just not getting bogged down in, in one part of it, but it's a certain one type of behavior of a person that you don't like, but there's so much more that you do like about them. And there are actually decent people, but maybe one in one part they're misbehaving. Or maybe, again, somebody had a bad day and they're, they're shouting and uh, fighting. And then the, the rest of the day, they're actually pretty good people. But if we if we harbor on that one moment, I think that's, that's the issue. And I think it's also this drive for perfection. And that is the younger generation, they really want everything to be 100% perfect. And that's, that's, that's deluding, and that's often not helpful and it creates more stress for oneself as well as others, I think.
1: I, th- I think that's helpful. Um, Keats, the poet, had an idea he called negative capability and a lot of the people in my psychoanalytic tradition have sort of used this in the interpersonal relational school of psychoanalysis and the idea is that you get some kind of negative capability strength or capacity comes from not trying to figure it out and get it just right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so your point about perfectionism and even the idea of authenticity um you know it's so polarized. It's bad to be authentic. It's good to be authentic. Like you said, it's not about good and bad, but there is a movement in the direction of something that's say more constructive. Yeah. And I think you're calling for a kind of a sanity and a kind mm-hmm. of a basic decency also. And
0: also common sense. I think that's, that's another point that is often overlooked. And you like just, say just using common sense in situations. And I think for myself, I'm finding myself the best, easiest way, or I think pretty much probably the only way is by finding out what I'm not by kind of by in in a negative way of getting rid of all the things that I'm not. It's like, Oh, this is who I am. So kind of like, like when you sculpt and you like just have like piece of rock and you clay and you work your way through it. And that authentic being is somewhere inside. But it takes a lot of work and effort, too, and self-discovery and so on. But it doesn't come quickly. And that's, that's one of the issues today, too. We want answers quick. We want the quick fix solutions need to be rapid. And that's not how it works. That's not how psychiatry works, too. If you want to improve, it's not like with one or two sessions, I'm done, right? And that's why I think people are driven towards medication because they feel that that's faster. But that's also not, in many ways, not, not helping.
1: Yeah, again, uh, so many things uh, to think about. I think slowing down is really important, and the world seems to be accelerating in social media and "quote unquote" dopamine hits and the the need for constant stimulation, the attentional problems, um, the constant, you know, the state of the art of advertising and entertainment is so high that you know essentially we lose our own our own sense of choice and. Mm-hmm and i think you're right i think you have to really slow down and be not vigilant or paranoid but quite watchful in order to make sense of what's happening and so i think slowing down is a big part of making your crazy work for you and i think listening to other people because since we can't see ourselves very clearly as as you're saying having someone else who you trust pretty well and being open to that feedback is important you used the term narcissistic earlier mm-hmm. And that makes that problematic because it's like you're inside of a bubble and the inside of the bubble is a mirror and the mirror is distorted and you're not hearing other people. You're only seeing your own kind of um, odd reflection. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I love that. I mean, for me, it's also like just wearing lenses. Like I I wear glasses too. And so... Once you wear those, those lenses and you, you correct parts of yourself and you see things in a clear light, it just becomes so much, everything becomes clear, right? At, the, at that moment. But once you don't, it's all blurry. And so we shouldn't just, be okay with the blurry vision. We should try again, finding that, that perfect fit. And again, trial and error, that's, that's how we learn. And again, using others as mirrors, it's uh, listening to their feedback and, and growing on it. Using what is helpful and uh, what is uh, discriminating against the stuff that is not helpful and say, okay, I don't think this applies to me. And, uh, but it's, 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 a, it's, it's a bit of a battle, but I think it's, it's worthwhile of uh, engaging in it. And one thing I love that, and that's what's happening with psychiatry, and we also have positive psychiatry and so on, the move of moving towards, yeah. we all need help. We all need mental health. And so, and we always can improve on it and we can build on it. And uh, I think like a lot of people, myself was included, I was mildly depressed. I was like quite satisfied with things, but I wasn't necessarily fully happy or really enjoying things that I do. And uh, I think we, we can, I think we should. And I think that's why we're here to to, to find that and optimize and self-actualization, like Maslow would say, I think that is, should our, be our goal for those who are privileged, again, uh, where you don't have to worry about surviving. And we, this, I think, should be the norm, that we all strive towards that. And I think that's what you're working with, with clients like that too, which I find very good because uh, a lot of psychiatrists say, I don't have time. For that. I, I take the serious cases, which is also fine, but we all need help in, in one way or another.
1: Yeah, I do, I do a fair amount of individual therapy in my private practice, and I prescribe some medications, and I've treated people with transcranial magnetic stimulation, which stimulates mm-hmm. the cortex of the brain. Um, you're talking about the speed of change, and I thought of that at the time in terms of neuroplasticity. So the the kind of development where we you know, and you can develop in a lot of different directions, but there do seem to be ways where you want to help people develop faster, right? Because while it is good to take your time, you don't necessarily want to waste your time, because oh, yeah. we, after all, have a finite amount of time. Um, and so, some things that can modify the brain's ability to learn maybe can help us, you know, get to wisdom faster. Though that's a bit of the joke of the Holy Mountain is trying to commercialize uh, personal growth. As as a psychiatrist. You know, I very much believe in in health and wellness, like positive psychiatry, as you mentioned, and not just an illness model. But I do, I do think it's important to make a, a distinction between mental illness and the kind of um, well well being and health that, in in some philosophical system, every human being has a right to. Um, and there's a difference between being being ill, right? Because the brain can have illnesses. I do believe there are psychiatric illnesses, but a lot of what we suffer from is not an individual illness. It's a societal problem, you know, that gets diagnosed. Like you started with collective trauma of the pandemic. And then before that, you know, there's traumas on a collective level at an escalating frequency. One of the things in my not-for-profit work that I do is disaster mental health. I'm on the board of Vibrant Emotional Health I co-chair the Disaster, Trauma, and Global Health Committee for the Group for the Advancement of Psychiatry. I'm the co-advisor of Vibrant's Crisis Emotional Care Team, and I'm one of the architects of the chronic cyclical disasters model that has been an interdisciplinary uh, collaboration with uh, Vibrant, the Group for the Advancement of Psychiatry, GAP, and uh, a healthcare informatics company in Boston called Decision Point. And we've created a dynamic, um, complex model of overlapping disasters. And it's meant to be a kind of a model that can really cover the bases for many disasters happening to different types of communities at different times, um, on top of the social determinants of health, you know, and foundational issues like systemic racism, gender bias, so that we can think in the way you're describing about how to take care of all the different stakeholders. Um, so, you know, as you say, like as a psychiatrist, I forget sometimes I'm a psychiatrist. It really is uh, an important public health goal for me. And everything I do, I realize looking back over my life is maybe because I came from a family where people were troubled, where there's developmental disability, where uh, my mother was sick and died when I was young, where we grew up in a, in a very ethical culture. As a, my family's cultural background is very much about taking care of everyone if you can and making sure that you're safe um so i find myself you know writing these books i also have a podcast called doorknob comments the chronic cyclical disaster model we've been talking with people all over the country and it's very well received even even by leading experts so that's like super exciting um and then I think I mentioned when we were talking is I have a creative background. If you, if, if you're watching on video, you can kind of see my offices got a lot of little stuff. There's art in the back and um, I'm very much into photography. I like still photography. I take a ton of photographs myself um, and have painted and stuff in the past, but I got invited to co-organize a mental health film festival with a guy named Joff Guerrero, Joffrey Guerrero of Catra Film Series, he's been doing urban BIPOC, you know, emerging voices, Brooklyn-based film festivals for over eleven years with Catra Films, and so we founded the um, the the Urban Dreams Mental Health Film Festival, and it'll be our first one in September. Fingers crossed! We've gotten over sixty submissions, including seven feature-length films and five uh, screenplays. And we're very excited to br- bring this uh, kind of um, right. There's definitely a bias to the philosophy that you're that you recommend for people, right? It's based mm-hmm. in some notion of goodness.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: So I'm curious, what your sort of philosophy
0: of life is? Where Where did you land? My philosophy of life, I mean, I, I, I'm also a creative person. I I, I tried uh, making a short, I, I made a short film, uh, which was which was a lot of fun, but it was also very challenging. So I found like, if, if I want to do that as like a full-time job, it'd be so draining, though so rewarding at the same time. And I think that's also, I think, how, how making I- Making films. Making films, yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I-, I consume films I love films but then once you're on the other side it's like okay no this is this is quite hard actually putting it together and editing and what what film did you make yeah, oh, it's a short film tell, tell a, me
1: about your film
0: <laughs> it's a short film that's actually a very like current now but I made it like 20 something years ago about uh, a goth person who uh who gets uh who gets beaten up and and killed and it's, it's set in Mexico and it's actually in Spanish but um, uh, and then there are two guys on the bench who just like basically are uh, commenting on things, but uh, they are they're they're sexist. They're the way they talk, they're demeaning to women and also to to that, those kind of people, which they call those kind of people. And so uh, this was driven because I had heard the news something about that, and now like. Um, uh, when, when you see things, it's like, oh, okay, so this was kind of like a bit visionary filmmaking, even though it's my first film and it's, it's, it had various flaws and so on. But I thought that was interesting. And in the, the, the twist of the film is actually that that person comes back and talks to them. So he appears and reappears and so on. So it's, it's quirky, it's, it's wacky and so on. But I think that is really important to me of, of, uh, of that kind of a sense of humor but also a certain kind of quickness, thinking outside of the box. And that can be, to me, it's satisfying, but it can also be very tough at times where you just don't fit in one box. And you, you, you might try, but um, and I say like, you know what, the box needs to come to me. I just be myself and then maybe you'll create. And that's why it's Arash's world because it's my, my experiences and my learning experiences throughout life as a blog, as well as a podcast. And I talk to experts like yourself to kind of explore that and uh, dive deeper into and learn from it too and adjust my my path, right? But I think the journey is really yeah. trying to find myself. And I think I've never been this close or maybe I was this close when I was uh, in elementary school and something happened and I just kind of lost about 30 something years there. But yeah. I'm going back to that and I find it very satisfying
1: you kind of rediscover yourself. I mean, I, I also yeah. was bullied as a kid and the yeah. feeling of not belonging. I was like, I, we used to always, I was always told I was kind of weird and and I, I did some stuff that was weird, but never creepy. I don't, I don't believe. And I think the, the root of the word weird, it means kind of like magical, right? Like a weird is a spell, yeah. like yeah. the word, yeah. the, I think the word weird is related to the word word. And yeah. a word is like a way to make something come into being, right? When you name something, it can become real, but you can also use words to create falsehoods, right? Mm-hmm. And there's something very interesting about that um, in terms of kind of n- not fitting in. For sure, I, I, I prefer to be in lots of different places. Um, giftedness is defined by the personality trait of openness to new experience. It's one of the only personality traits that seems to account for what people call gifted, and maybe you can kind of cultivate that, but again, it's tricky. Um but I think I, I think more people probably feel like they don't know where they fit in. and you know, a lot of people try to fit in because you're supposed to try to fit in. Yeah. and it's good to be able to fit in in certain ways.
0: Yeah. I mean, from for my experience, it was like also culturally. I grew up in Germany, so and I was born in Iran. So it was like, uh, there's this, like when people talk about racism, yes, I experienced it. And, and some of those racist people were actually, I became friends with them and they would say, you know what, you're, you're different. We don't mean you when we complain about them. And it's like, but you know, that's, that's, those are my family members you'll see in the street. And you, so it's like, but but you realize that there's another side to it too. And I, I didn't try to fit, I didn't try to please them, of course, but I, I saw some good sides uh, in them as well. So it really changed my perspective because I have no place that's home. So everywhere is your home, wherever you go. And it's like it's that rootlessness. it's it's also very troubling, but at the same time, it's very liberating. And, uh, I think of the, the Bob, uh, Bob Dylan song, it's like, you know, like, like a rolling stone. And that's, that's really how my life has yeah. been. And I don't see it as a bad thing anymore what I used to, and I don't often understand me, uh, what people try to fit in. And it's like, you don't have to, you can, it's good if you are, but if you're not, that's fine too.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, earlier when you were talking about Jen, um, X. Yeah. I, I thought of uh, On the Road, you know, like the Diamond oh, yeah, Bombs and Jack Kerouac. Uh, yeah. But the th- the thing is, in order to work in a team, and this goes back to your question about the workplace, and mm-hmm. one of the hats I wear is as medical director for New York State for Soul Mental Health, which um, a, which uh, I had founded a, a company in New York that provided in-network psychiatry and psychotherapy as one of the co-founders uh, and in, in Soul Mental Health took on that company and it's an, it's a national mental health um, practice now. And I'm I'm the medical director in New York. I've learned so much from working in a more structured setting. The last time I did that was really, I was a surgical resident for two years before I went into psychiatry and surgical training is highly regimented, almost military. Mm -hmm. And larger companies also have to work with a high degree of coordination and when you can do good things in coordination with a team that has multiple skill sets that are highly specialized, then you can really accomplish great things, which are much harder to do, you know, on one zone. So it's like sports. I'm not into field sports, but I do like athletics and certain types of sports, martial arts, and um, yoga and stuff. Um, but the ability to coordinate together requires a kind of a conformity and that can be really really bad because that power can be used to do bad to people or you know harm people right so um you know um, I I think I think the question of belonging and being able to work on a team is just a really tricky one but it's not it's not everyone's cup of tea it's definitely not my i think natural predisposition Though some of that may come from my family background, right? Because in my family, after this terrible death happened of my mother, we kind of held together, but in a lot of ways we didn't. In a lot of ways, it was everyone sort of on their own, um, and so that's also part of what becomes your own sense of self, right? And you have to, as you said earlier, you look back on with some perspective on your, you look back with some perspective on your own childhood and you start to see sort of different parts and if, if you hold that with compassion yeah. you yeah. can be non-judgmental and yeah. you can start to see the the sort of the healing and the growth potential yeah. sometimes it's called post traumatic growth yeah. Yeah, um out sense. of which comes wisdom and meaning and integration and but that things.
0: flexibility is really important too when you're engaging with team members to, to be flexible yourself. And it doesn't mean that you have to agree with them. But uh, I mean, for me, 12 Angry Men, we talk about movies, 12 Angry Men to me, like that, that's just wonderful. It's like one man standing up and saying, wait a minute, let's, let's talk about this and going against the norm. And I see myself as sometimes that person, even though it's like people will not like it, it feels uncomfortable, but you want to be the one that you're doing the right thing. And um, I think that's important too. At the same time, you do want to work with the team. You do want to listen to them and so on. So that's again, flexibility to, to be open to that and not just shutting off. And so I, that's how, how I perceive it. Yeah. yeah. Well, there, there's a traumatologist at the University of
1: Oregon named Jennifer Freed. F-R-E-Y-D, and she, among other things, has founded the Center for Institutional Courage, which studies things like institutional gaslighting, DARVO, defend and reverse victim and oppressor, talks about betrayal, trauma. And I agree with you 100%. Like, you have to find your voice, but you also have to be in a social place where people will listen. Yeah. Um, and I had some association, I have to say, to Thus Spake Zarathustra, to Nietzsche, when oh, yeah. you know you want to be that voice. Yeah. even if you're not always popular and i i think you know it's pretty obvious that a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to win the popularity contest yeah. and that often is a bad decision ethically mm-hmm. it puts you in ethical hot water to be popular but you know the best thing would be if if these if these sort of um you know you and i seem to agree on these values right if it were popular to have humanistic communal um tolerant values if we if we could all agree on what the goal was
0: but <laughs>
1: right we know the problem is not everyone's on the same page yet
0: absolutely yeah Th- thank you so much Dr. Grant Brenner uh, your book is uh, making your crazy work for you from trauma and isolation to self acceptance and love it's been just so fascinating talking to you thank you so much for being here
1: yeah it's been a huge pleasure and i hope listeners enjoy it and get something out of it thanks for having me here Arash. wonderful